Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number four of the Money Line. Thank you for listening. We will get into the CFL and discuss a call um, into the line today as well. Let's start in Winnipeg with the Bombers hosting the Rough Riders. Both teams are off a bye, so no scheduling advantage either way here. Uh, the Bombers went into their off week following a loss to the Enigma, that is the Hamilton Tiger Cats. If you're a champ, you get a long rope from me, so I'm throwing that game away. It it doesn't matter to me, they just had a bad day. Uh, Saskatchewan, on the other hand, is coming in off a three-game losing streak. Two of those were to the Bombers. In that game in Winnipeg, the Bombers closed minus seven, which might have been depressed a bit since they had to squeak out a win in Saskatchewan the week before. The eight and a half right now, that does make more sense to me. Uh, the elements that may impact the spread here will be the return to health of the Riders' offensive line. Uh, they should get three guys back, including center Dan Clark. But they are also down to their third string running back and will probably be without Duke Williams for one more week. The running back position matters a little bit more in the CFL than it does in the NFL in terms of line composition. And for the way that the Riders like to run their offense, uh, this could become a big deal. With this in mind, at the current numbers, uh, this won't be a game that I'll be rushing to um, rushing to get involved with. Next up, we go to BC, where the Lions host the Red Blacks. I cautioned against BC last week when they faced the Stampeders, but now they're stepping down in class significantly against Ottawa in terms of current form. Coming off their bye, Ottawa was absolutely manhandled by the Toronto Argonauts in a game they needed to win in order to keep their faint playoff hopes alive. This is the time of, of the season where we start seeing teams... Uh, possibly packing it in. Um, it has been a tough season for Ottawa. Uh, tons of bad late game variants um, and, and of course, injuries as well. Um, on BC, I suspected that Vernon Adams would struggle against the Stamps defensive coverage, but I think he'll have some success with his feet and short passes against what should be an Ottawa defense that um, that that does send more more, more uh, pressure on him. Uh, this game opened at 9. It currently sits at 7. I wouldn't put too much stock into that move since it doesn't take, it doesn't take much to go from 9 to 7 in the CFL. I would be surprised if we go below 7 though. Um, in one of the most bizarre streaks I've seen in sports, the Elks are running out of time to win their first home game in almost two seasons now. They've lost 14 consecutive home games, um, which actually ties the CFL record. You can look at the surface numbers and see that just a couple of games ago, the Elks gave up 50 points in a game. The bar is low considering how poorly they've been playing most of the season, but I do have their defense trending much better the last few games. It helps when the offense can do just can do enough to give the defense a breather as well. I give Montreal absolutely for turning their season around, but being favored by over a possession on the road in the CFL is reserved for a certain caliber of team. I'm just not sure if the Alouettes are there yet. The final game of the week is what should be the best with the Argos in Calgary. Uh, these teams played in Toronto a month ago. In that game, we saw Bo Levi Mitchell start. And from the second half of that game, the Stamps have upgraded at QB by handing over the reins to uh, Jake Mayer. 
The Stamps closed as a 2.5, 2.5-point favorite in that game on the road, which should make the minus, which should make the minus 5.5 at home a bit short. But we need to adjust for the difference in the Argonauts from that game to now. So what I mean is since that game, the Argos have won four straight with their significantly improved defense. Even if we throw out that game against Hamilton where, where they played against the, against the third string QB. Uh, McLeod Bethel Thompson has been much more consistent as they have gotten the, the offense on track, which of course coincides with getting Brandon Banks going. From the minus two and a half close in Toronto, we can add the home field and the quarterback upgrade for Calgary. We can also subtract the adjustments for Ottawa's, for, sorry, for Toronto's improved offensive and defensive play. All of that has been clearly accounted for in the line, which is why we're at five and a half instead of seven. Now, I mentioned last week that the return of Brian Dozier and, J- and Javian Elliott were difference makers on that defense who can change the whole dynamic of the game. We saw that come to fruition with the significantly improved play from the Stamps defense. Elliott showed up on the injury report again this week, so we'll have to monitor that. But those two guys um, are probably not being um, valued correctly in the market as of yet. So um, their status will be something that, that we need to keep an eye on. Alright, so one call I wanted to discuss on this episode. Um, here it is. Hey, so many question for the pod. Curious how you approach preseason NHL and how it ranks in terms of profitability versus other sports times of the year for you. Do you have informational edges that you're comfortable talking about beyond public info on Twitter? Okay, thank you for the call. In terms of approaching the preseason, it is completely, it is a completely different process than the regular season. Everything in the preseason is informational. For example, very rarely do you have any scheduling issues because, um, teams are generally going with different players every game. So the back to backs, three and fours, et cetera, they don't matter at all. My edge does not lie with the speed of the information attained because I get it at the same time as everyone else for the most part. But I do have processes in place honed over many, many years where I can process that information um, probably a little bit quicker. So for example, heading into the preseason, I know which teams have positional battles. So when a lineup comes out, I can quickly determine if it's a young lineup just to get through the game and nobody really cares, or if it's a young lineup with with an eye on positional battles. This obviously impacts the effort level. It's easy to decipher who's going young and who's going veteran. We all know what a team's projected opening night lineup looks like for the most part. But when you can value the lineup as a whole with the team's intention for the game in mind, that's when you can jump the market. Conversely, the regular season is much more granular and player level. Um, each player has a positive, neutral, or negative impact on a team's valuation, and I don't take a holistic team approach there. For profitability, the edges are the biggest in the preseason, but I'm limited in my earning potential. This is due to the limits. We're seeing now um, in this preseason where lines are opened at small limits and are bet into when lineups are known the night before. Meanwhile, the market-making books who would take larger limits are just sitting with their feet up 
while the market is shaped and price discovery occurs at no cost to them. At some point now, this will be prone to manipulation. It's going to happen. Uh, but for now, this is the preseason in- environment that we have to deal with. Okay, let's let's end it there today. Uh, please like, subscribe, leave reviews if you enjoy the podcast. Thank you for all the calls into the line. Um, I, I read everyone. I appreciate it. And I will um, discuss every single one. Um, at some point here um, you can reach me on twitter at so many sports or email so many sports at gmail.com thank you for listening until next time the line is open this is-